Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read the first four verses of Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible or if you like to use the Pew Bible, feel free to use it. You can find our passage on page 944 of the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. We're going to be reading Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Let us give ear to the word of our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Would you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these great verses that we have before us. Holy Spirit, we ask your help, not only to understand the meaning of them, would you apply them to our hearts? that we would believe, and that we would be strengthened in our faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do confess as we open up to to Romans 8 tonight that I I come with a little bit of trepidation in part because everybody knows Romans 8, and for many people it is their favorite book or chapter in the Bible. I have very fond memories personally of when I was a seminary student. I would drive two hours up to school, and my grandmother uh, lived uh, just around the corner, really, close to here in a retirement uh, living uh, area, and I would visit her every week. Uh, We would get lunch or dinner together whenever I was up, and uh, she, every time I would visit her, she would quote from heart, Romans 8 to me. And in fact, before her funeral, she uh, told me that the one request she had for her funeral was that I read Romans 8 at her funeral. She had no other requests other than that she get buried, but at her burial, that I would read Romans 8. We all love Romans 8. Many of you love Romans 8. I know that. I uh, had a friend tell me, look, this is Romans 8. Don't mess this up. (laughs) So I'm thankful for that reminder. I'm even more thankful for the Holy Spirit, uh, that He is the one who applies His Word to us. But why is it that everyone loves Romans 8 so much? Well, you... Look at these verses that we've just read, and you come to verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are sweet words. Sweet words for the Christian who is struggling. Sweet words for the, for the one who is weak in their faith. But when we look at Romans 8, we are coming to this high point in this whole book that's really begun uh, back in Romans 3 where we uh, see and are taught that every one of us falls short of the glory of God. And we know that's true. 
And we see that's true. And we, we look at Romans 7 and we, we see the struggle there and we identify so much with that. Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a truth. What a gospel truth that we need to have etched into our minds and hearts. Sometimes we need to come back to this chapter and these verses to keep going one day after the other. This is a passage, a chapter really, of great assurance for the Christian. And so as we consider that over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at Romans 8. I think we'll be taking this fairly slowly. Uh, I hope that we all will have our uh, sense of assurance strengthened uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now with that, there are four things I do want us to consider tonight in the passage that we've uh, have before us in verses 1 through 4 that my prayer and hope is will be a beginning process of, of strengthening and, and bolstering your assurance, believer. And if you're not a believer, uh, to cause you to see how I need Jesus Christ in my life. Well, what does this passage have for us? Well, first, notice the assurance that the believer has right now. Presently, Back to verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to show your hands, uh, raise your hands, but I wonder how many in this room are currently in this moment struggling over their faith. Struggling with, with doubts. Does God really love me? I read Romans 7 and I know what that's all about. I I get that. I do the thing that I hate. The thing that I want to do, I keep not doing it. Wretched man that I am. I know those words. I could say them myself. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then we come to verse 1. And we come to this statement that really raises the question that you need to consider. And it's this, really, how can you possibly be condemned if you are in Christ Jesus? If you are in Christ Jesus, you cannot be condemned. If Jesus Christ is your refuge and strength, Though you may be struggling, you do not stand condemned before God. Paul will later uh, raise the question all the way in verse 34 of this chapter. He'll say, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. That's where Jesus is now. At the right hand of the Father, interceding for God's people. And so while, yes, it is true that there is remaining sin in you, Christian, and and when you see that and when you start to deal with that, it causes you great pain and great grief. You need to remember 
that Jesus Christ has already paid the full amount. He's paid the full debt that is due for your sin. And right now, at this moment, there is one who is at the right hand of the throne room of heaven who has taken on your condemnation and is there interceding for you now. The believer has a standing with God that is righteous and sure. Just as righteous and sure as God's Son is. Righteous and sure. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an amazing truth? That that when you come to Jesus Christ in faith, that the eternal and holy God, when He looks at you, what He sees is He sees someone who is just as righteous as His own Son. Because when He looks at you, He is seeing someone who is in Jesus Christ. He is in the Righteous One. United to the Savior. Isn't this good news? This is great news. That we who who deserve God's judgment, we deserve God's judgment for our sin. We're not destroyed. We're not condemned. Quite the opposite. We are embraced by the love of the eternal and holy God in Jesus Christ. And so there is therefore now, today, even as you have your struggles and and you work things out and you see your sin and you hate it and it causes you grief and pain, even now, there is no condemnation for you. We're not waiting for something in the future. You know, that... I know today has been a bad day, but maybe I can make up for it to tomorrow and then God will kind of look at things later and say, well, at least you, you tried better to the next day. We're not waiting for something. But right now, the believer in Christ has a righteousness that will not ever be tarnished and it will never fade. It will not lose its luster. These are the privileges. This is one of the privileges that a Christian has, a believer has, because he belongs to Jesus Christ. What good news. What glorious news. But you also need to hear that there is a flip side to this. That if you are not a Christian, if you have not come to Jesus Christ and put your trust and faith in Him, That means you are under, you are under the righteous condemnation of God. That the law of God still stands against you and condemns you. But when you believe in Jesus Christ, and what we've seen through Romans is what happens is that God, that you are taken out of Adam and you are placed in Christ. And if you are in Christ, whatever your failures and sins that that cause you to cry out, wretched man that I am, Jesus has atoned for. If you are in Christ, then all that is His belongs to you. 
And as God sees you and looks at you, you stand righteous. You are not condemned. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful the degree of God's love for his people. And, but you hear that, and, and you say, that is indeed good news, but, but, but how? How can this be? Well, good thing you asked. It brings us to our second point. In verse 2, we are given the reason why the Christian no longer stands condemned. So we see there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And then verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. Now, in this verse, just this verse here, when we see the word law, it might be better for you to, to think the word principle. So, so it's the, the principle of the spirit of life has set you free from the principle of sin and death. So what is, uh, what is the principle of sin and death? Well, what are the wages of sin? It's that we all die. The wages of sin is death. And, and the reality is, if you know the Gospels, that we are powerless to free ourselves from it. We're powerless to free ourselves from the power of sin and death. Because you, my friends, are a sinner. You're, you're born a sinner. You're born in Adam. And the wages of sin is death. But, but, the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ sets the believer free. Now there's a question, what is this law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus? What is this verse talking about? Well, there's a lot of debate here, but I, I really think that Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit. I think the Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit. That it is because we, we see that that is the Holy Spirit's work, isn't it? Throughout Scripture is to give life to those who are dead in their sins. When you are held captive by sin, the only power in you is producing death. But God, when He calls you to Himself, He he gives you His Holy Spirit and then you are freed from sin's dominion and you're, you're given new life in Christ. God breathes life into you, new life in your hearts and in your minds that were once darkened by sin. And he, he puts within you a new principle of life. He, what He doesn't do is, God doesn't leave you in the place of death. You know, you, it would be one thing if, if God declares you, you're not condemned and yet you stay in the place of death. You know, imagine that, um, you, you know, you, you, you get taken away, arrested or whatever, and you get, you get put in prison. And then the judge says, uh, Ben, you are not guilty. Well, that's good news. But if nobody comes to bring me out of my cell, it doesn't mean much, does it? But when God declares you righteous in Jesus Christ, you have no condemnation in Jesus Christ. He gives His Holy Spirit. He sets you free. He opens 
uh, the doors of the prison of sin and death. That's one of the things that the Christian learns pretty quickly in his conversion. I have new life. I have new life. I'm no longer condemned. I have new life in Jesus Christ. Which leads us to our uh, third observation here. In, in verse 3, Paul explains even further how it is. So we are uh, able to be standing before God uh, as righteous in Jesus Christ because He's given us the spirit of life and He sets us free from the spirit of death. And then now he tells us in verse 3 how it is that believers are no longer under God's condemnation. How does the law of the spirit of life set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death? Look at verse 3. It says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. It's another reminder here. And we've seen this already again in Romans. But it's another reminder that we need to keep being reminded of. Is that the law. This time God's moral law here. Is incapable of saving us. God's law was never meant To save you. It's powerless to save. You may wonder, well, why why is that? But there's nothing, as we've already seen in chapter 7 and verse 12, there's nothing actually wrong with God's law. It's holy, it's righteous, and it's good. But the law is powerless to save. Verse 3 tells us why. It's because it was weakened By the flesh. You see, you and I have fallen. You and I have sinned, and our sin has undone us. And there is nothing that you can do within your own power to make yourself acceptable to God. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. And That's the most basic problem you have in your life. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. It's not this, you have a minor issue that crops up every now and then. You are totally, totally entirely corrupted by sin. There's nothing that you can do under your own power to get to God. And God's moral law was never designed to fix that problem. So we have to remember, and we need to know that the problem is not with God's law. The problem is with you. The problem is with you. Again, the law was never designed to save. It was powerless to save us because we are sinners. We could not live up to it. could not live up to God's holy character. Because you ought to know this, that if your hope is that I'm going to live a perfectly obedient life, a perfectly good and righteous life, and God will accept me, I'm going to tell you right now, you are sunk. You are without hope. If that is your goal, 
Because you will end up condemning yourself. Again, raise this illustration of God's law being like a mirror. What do you use a mirror for? You get ready for your day and you go stand in front of the mirror and you look at yourself. It's not going to fix your your bad bed head. It's not going to to wipe the crumbs off your mouth. It's not going to wash your face or brush your teeth. What it does is it, it shows you these are your problems that need to be fixed. These are the problems, and, and you need to be cleaned. And that's what God's law does for us. It shows us that we are sinners. It shows us that we cannot uh, achieve uh, God's, uh, we cannot uh, achieve salvation on our own. You see, in itself, God's law cannot save you. But God can. God is able to save. And what does God do? Does He say, well, I'm able to save, but I'm just too busy now. I'm not going to do it. You've hurt me too much in your sin. Verse 3 again, He tells us, no. Rather, it says He sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Notice, who does God send to save you, sinner, who has a big problem? He sends his own son. He sends his own son. He doesn't send an angel. He doesn't send some other messenger. He sends his own son. There is no other anywhere in heaven or on earth who is good enough to pay the price for your sin. When you hear this, you ought to think, man, God must really love me. That He would send not just some angel, which would overwhelm us if He did, but He sends His own Son. God spared not His only Son. And then verse 3, it says, God sends His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. I'll admit this is a strange phrase. What does this mean? Well, I'll tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that somehow the Son of God put on sinful flesh. That word likeness is important here. It means resemblance or similar to, but not the same. We know that the Son of God was born of a virgin. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. In the incarnation, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, He's fully human. And He's fully God. Without sin. Fully human, without sin. So He's sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now why? Why would God send His Son in such a manner? Because it's only as one of us could, the, could He fulfill all righteousness and die the death that would fully and completely pay for our sins. Only a sinless human could do that. Only a sinless Savior 
could do that. You see, if there was an ounce, just an ounce of sin in Jesus Christ, then his death would have been pointless for us. But he came into creation like one of us, and yet somehow different, without sin, without the stain of the original sin that you and I are born into. And when you think about that, and you begin to ponder, how how low was the Son of God willing to go in order to save sinners? This is telling us there is no bottom to the depths that Jesus would go so that you could stand as righteous before God. The eternal Son of God to whom belongs glory, everything was made through Him and for Him, was ready to be despised and rejected by men in order to stand for us and with us and instead of us in order to achieve salvation. Man, does God love His people. And so we see in the end of verse 3, He condemned sin in the flesh. And the frailty of the real human flesh that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in that frailty, He condemns sin. Not us. Not His people, those who belong to Him, but He condemns Sin, the Son of God becomes man and goes to the cross and He offers Himself in our place taking on our iniquities. By doing so, He condemns sin. He judges sin and He deals with sin righteously. And because He has done this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus. The price has been paid. Freedom has been secured by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's good news, isn't it? That fallen sinners can approach the eternal throne of God in Christ Jesus and not be condemned. Let's move on now to our fourth point where we see what effect this work has on God's people. You may wonder why does God do all of this? Of course, he loves his people. But Paul says in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the to the Spirit. You see, none of us would be able to stand before God on our own merit. But Jesus Christ fulfilled the righteous, every requirement that the law demands. Jesus fulfilled that. And so to be in Christ, to, to be a believer in Jesus Christ is to be in the one who has fulfilled every righteous requirement of the law. He lived a perfect and obedient life. 
and His obedience, His righteousness, then becomes ours when we turn to Him in faith. And so that means that the righteous requirement is fulfilled in us. Notice it's not by us. We're not the ones who fulfill the righteous requirement. Jesus does. He does everything that the law requires. But when God looks at us, it's been fulfilled in us because we're united to Jesus Christ. And so we can stand. We can stand before the holy God, justified, righteous, because of what Jesus has done, because He has kept God's holy law perfectly for us. That's what happens when you become a Christian, when you become a true believer in Christ, you are made right with God in Christ. And when that happens, you will see a change in your life. It may not be all at once, but it might be gradual, but there will be a change in your life because of who has redeemed you and what He's brought you into new life. You will then start to pursue Righteousness, holiness, and goodness. You'll start to pursue God's holy law. And so why verse 4 speaks of those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, Christ is the one who represents us. By the power of His Spirit, uh, we are uh, freed from the dominion of sin and we are changed. If you are justified in Christ, then you will be changed. It will happen. And you will begin to walk according to the Spirit. Has the Spirit of life entered into you? Have you known the grace that saves and transforms you? Have you met the Lord Jesus Christ and believed Upon him. What do we do? What do we do when we read Romans 7 and verse 24 and we say, This is my testimony today. I've sinned and it causes me terrible grief and terrible pain. And I'm crying out with you, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? If you have believed upon Jesus Christ, you need to be reminded, to be told, there is therefore now no condemnation for you if you are in Jesus Christ. You see, salvation belongs to the Lord. If God doesn't do it, we're we're lost, all of us. But God has done it in Jesus Christ. He condemns sin in the flesh of His own Son so that we who are in Christ are no longer condemned but embraced as justified, righteous, and holy in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, I pray that You would help us to reflect upon these verses and Ponder the the depths of your love for your people. I pray that you would bring comfort to those
who are struggling with doubts and are in great pain and grief from their sin. Work your Spirit in them that they would more and more walk in the Spirit of life. I pray for those who do not know you, who are here tonight, or perhaps are listening online or wherever. I pray, Lord, that you would show them that apart from Christ they do stand condemned. Would you send your Spirit to them that they would believe and know the joy of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.